Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, February 21st. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. I've got the team with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we will get to your calls and questions. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything to do with maintenance, pick up the phone and join us, 855-950-3835. Bruce, good morning. Oh, let me try that again. There we go. Bruce, oh, hold on. Bruce, are you there? Kevin? There we go. Yeah, I am. What's on your mind this morning? I am. Well, I went on a cruise last week with my 83-year-old sister and my 80-year-old sister and Debbie and I. So it was it was a nice time. It was a nine-day cruise to the South Caribbean. But on the way back, we stopped at the Dominic Republic, and we were spending a day there, and we decided we were going to rent UTVs. Oh, boy. Instead of an ATV, UTV. It was a Razor. Uh, Flaris Razor 170. And so you have to register online when you're on the steamship. And so they know your age. They know what room you're in. They know everything. And you know what they come back with? What? One of the, one of the people in your party is too old. No way. I was the victim of age discrimination. Tell me I was too old to drive the UTV. You should have pointed out the president we have today. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're too old to drive a UTV, but we can run the damn country and we can have the nuclear codes. So I went down to the excursion desk, showed them pictures of how we snowmobile, and they said, Mr. Mallinson, we have nothing to do with how the people on the islands run their business. And yeah. That's their rule. So there it was, my first experience with age discrimination. I turned seventy-four on Super Bowl Sunday, so I was a little surprised at that. They have a they have a word anyway. for that. They have a word for that now. I don't know why I just heard this word within the last month. We seem to have a lot of new words these days. I don't know what that's all about, but ageism—that's what they're calling that now. Ageism, huh? Ageism. Hmm. I know. How come we've never heard that word they, before? You know, they had to go down to the southwest and see how many elderly men are running around the mountains in the desert and, and with, UTVs and ATVs. With guns. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here's what we have going on in our shop. Shop's still busy, but uh, we uh, the schedule is easing up, in, I think, in March so we can take in some small jobs. But right now we have a 2002 2010 work with a, it's got a caterpillar with a cracked head. We've got a N14 in the shop with a rough idle and a 99 Volvo N14. We're doing the overhead and damper and balancer and we're rebuilding the shifter. That's uh, very rare for us to rebuild a shifter, but that the damper and a balancer will help take a lot of the shaking out and rebuilding the shifter. That'll fix that problem. We've got a 1986 cab over Freightliner in with a big cam. It's getting heads and getting retimed, and fuel pump and the injectors and the turbo will all get changed, and it'll go from a 400 to a 550 horsepower. We'll also be putting a damper and balancer on that, a dual fuel line kit. 
We've got a Freightliner Columbia getting a transmission swap. And we've got a bus, a 475 Big Kim Cummins twin turbo, mechanical variable timing, an engine that lays on its side on a three-degree angle out of the bus that's in our rebuild shop. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Some interesting trucks there, too. Not the not the usual run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. stuff. Right. All right. And so, um, we're staying fairly fairly busy in the uh, BPF cleaning facility. Good. Good. All right. Several several fleets have been. Seems like they're on a maintenance schedule, and they're sending in their DPFs to to keep them clean with our DPF alternatives operation. It's a good idea. That's all I have. All right. That's all we I will. Have. Uh, we'll go hear from the rest of the team. Pete. Good morning. Oh, Kevin, how are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind this week? Okay, I don't have a whole lot. I was just going to mention that for the Louisville Truck Show, um, that we'll be doing remote tunes down there. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, so if they call up, we can uh, tune their trucks You know, at the show. Um, they can call ahead of time to um, schedule if they want. Um, tuning will be done by Josh at Turnaround Express. So if you go to our, our website and pick up the phone number for them and make an appointment with him, and then uh, you know he'll drive to the parking lots or wh- wherever they're at yeah. to do a tune. That's a good opportunity. It's like we have the last couple of years. So, but he's going to be busy. Have going on. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he has been in the past. All right. Leroy, anything on your mind this week? We all seem to be a little brain dead for some reason today. I'm going to continue the trend of being brain dead. I mean, besides being brain dead every day. Um, no, I'm still uh, still working on electrical issues in the shop. Nothing, nothing that's been terribly interesting with any of them. They're just sort of run of the mill ones are trying to get figured out. So, um, yeah, nothing really interesting this week. Kind of a dry week. Got it. Well, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to tell stories or sing songs or do something because we have no calls and we all seem to be brain dead on the same day for some reason. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Uh, oh, the uh, our snowmobile conference is coming up. We still have the one bedroom left that has uh, the six beds in it. So anyone still interested to. Looks like it's going to be good snow. Interstate 80 was closed in Wyoming yesterday, so the snow's still coming. Yeah, aren't we supposed to get a big storm today? I know our weather's pretty bizarre. I don't think we're going to get any snow, but we've got it up on the, yeah. the mountain behind us right now. I just don't think it's going to make it down to us. But did I hear the Twin Cities might get like two feet? Yes, yes, you did. Oof. That's, a, that's going to be a rough one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's Pete, warmer. we're working at warm weather here. We've had a really mild winter. Like I unfortunately feel my skiing sun for the year. Um, seven Springs is just having a tough time. They're just not getting any snow. And then when you have, you know, the coldest it gets is 30 for a few hours at night. It right. Can't make any snow. Yeah. We've now, had a, it was 71 over the weekend. Wow. Not over the weekend, but last week, Friday, maybe last, last Thursday. Thursday Friday, yeah. yeah. It was that's, 71. That's crazy. Weird weather. It's, yeah, 49, sun's kind of trying to peek out today, so it's not too bad. Yeah. yeah so I guess we're going to have snow. We might as well have sunshine, I guess. Get the motorcycles out. Yep. You guys getting any, right now, any 
any effects or fallout from East Palestine? None that we're aware of. I'm trying not to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just know I'm going to bring it up every Tuesday. So I'm just wondering what's going on back there. It's, I, I can't believe it's just being ignored. Kevin, how close was that to where you were raised? Uh, 30 miles maybe from where I was raised. It's 10 miles from the condo. Remember when I was there with you guys this time last year, and then when I got home, Lisa headed that way. It That condo she was at that we sold last year was 10 miles from where that train went over. Wow. That oh, East funny. Palestine, find- they, they have a big... Um, like I think they make like dishware or some kind of ceramic stuff. They have a big ceramic something there, and I used to pick up and deliver. That was part of my area. They had a, I was, the news was on, and I, I was walking through the room, and they had a, a guy from that. I don't think he worked for the EPA, but you know he understood what's going on there, and he said, "Yeah, I wouldn't live there." Exactly. They need to do more testing. This is this is yeah. bad enough. <laughs> listen more to it to say you know who he was or what they were talking about it's kind of you know one of those deals walking through a room and tv was on but yeah he's like no look i wouldn't live there we don't have enough information yet when you look at the information that we do have two hundred thousand gallons of um vinyl chloride it, it may have even been more than that it was a really really big number the only time we've ever dealt with the spill of vinyl chloride of any size was like 50 some years ago, and they lost 30,000 gallons. And it was a huge story and a huge disaster. And here we've lost five times more than that, plus a bunch of other chemicals that we haven't really identified. And what happens when these chemical combinations mix and they dug a big trench and let this stuff flow into it while they were burning it off. None of this makes any sense at all. It seems to me like it could be bad enough that nobody will live in that area. It could be that bad. And yet they're, they're telling people to go back. And at one point they were telling them to drink the water. It's fine. Well, I don't get I it. They were two, two water um, uh, processing plants on the Ohio shut off their inlet um, yeah. at, because the, the water wasn't clean enough. It, it makes absolute sense. I mean, how can you dump something in the streams and not expect it to get to the river? I mean, it, it has to. And and these are what they call forever chemicals. This is stuff that just, mm-hmm. just doesn't wash away. This is stuff that leaves a lasting impact for a very long time. And if you think about it, the for the most part, the water went in one direction, south and west. And look, the smoke plume went exactly the other direction, north and east. Let's cover as much area as we can with this. Mm-hmm. What is this chemical used for? PVC pipe. So vinyl chloride, though, is the, the chemical that we lost. We convert that to polyvinyl chloride, which makes all this PVC. What PVC is, polyvinyl chloride, and all of our PVC plastic, and, and that is made from this. So it's pretty stable once it becomes polyvinyl chloride. When it's vinyl chloride, it, I don't know what the term is, uh, it, it off gases or it, it uh, goes from a liquid to a gas at eight degrees Fahrenheit. That's how volatile this stuff is. And when it, when it burns 
and then mixes with any amount of moisture in the atmosphere, it creates hydrochloric acid, which is acid rain. We heard about that in the 70s. And also uh, mustard gas, basically, is what everybody would recognize, which is the what we used in World War I as a chemical agent. Th- that's what that's what happens when you burn this and it goes up into the atmosphere. And that's exactly what they did. They burn it. And I don't understand why that was done before anybody knew it was happening. It's very possible that the only safe way would have been to to cover up those cars with concrete. Who knows? But I don't think we should have been burning it off into the atmosphere. It's almost like they didn't have a plan. Like, hey, if this happens, what should we do? Right. And, and, well, I think and, and, and like the locals, right? Not really. The, the EPA didn't show up on site until like yeah, two a.m. Or people that had that was their yeah. So I mean, they're just like uh, I don't know, burn it. it, it exactly. It, it was like even if there was a plan when it happened, it was like oh shit, we got to get trains moving again. They, so they dig a trench, light this stuff on fire, move on. And and where is the media? I have to follow independent journalists who are down there filming from their iPhone and posting on Twitter. That's the only place you're seeing any, like, real footage of what's happening there. I did hear one interesting point. I don't know if it, you could call it a counterpoint, but it's just a point. Was, yeah, so how many gallons did you say of vinyl chloride was there? So I like can't 20, remember gallons? if the number I saw, if they were talking about pounds or gallons, but it was 200 it was to 250,000. Pounds. I, I believe they were measuring pounds. Okay, so, I mean, so that would if it did get into the water system, like a water, the, your a local water table or something. I mean, you got to think about how many probably millions of gallons in that. So yeah, it's really bad to get in there, but it's when you look at it as a whole, it's pretty diluted. I was like, well, I guess that's sort of interesting thing to think about. Uh, yeah, that that doesn't make me feel any better at all when you find out that. <laughs> You know, just think about this. What have we been bombarded with for the last year? All the commercials about Camp Lejeune. Were you stationed there? Do you have cancer? Did you die? I, it, it really bad stuff happened. Those were the kind of chemicals that were leaking into the water there. Into the same kind of water table that has, you know, a gazillion gallons. Doesn't matter. This stuff's pretty nasty. Yeah, and it's like, what what concentration is dangerous? I don't think that they know those sort of answers for vinyl chloride or the other things because this just doesn't happen all the time right and like i said where where are you know any other time in my life had this happened we'd have 37 different chemists on the news 24 hours a day telling us all the things that happen when you combine those six chemicals i haven't heard one person report on that yeah no i'm good at there right it happens all the time uh, yeah a thousand times uh, a year no, no big deal. And now we find out that we actually have about a thousand trains a year derail. Maybe we should have been doing something about that. A thousand trains a year derail. Yeah. Wow. That that's what Pete Buttigieg claimed. He said, "This look, this is no big deal. Why is everybody making such an issue out of this? We have about a thousand trains a year derail." Do they all nuke towns or? So, it, well, no, obviously not, but they have the potential to. That's what we should have been paying attention to. Think about that. That's almost like two and a half a day, every day, all year long. Wow. That's crazy. And just in the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah, just in the U.S. Yeah. We're all lucky this hasn't been worse, that, that this hasn't happened already with nasty chemicals like this. 
Sure, we move a lot of chemicals on the rail, and we should. It should be one of the safer ways to do it. So have you heard of a thing called Pegasus with the trucks and putting them on um, trains, um, Kevin? Yeah, what what about it, I guess? I mean, I, I caught something on it that... I didn't catch the whole story, which kind of makes sense. But are they planning on putting truck and trailers on trains and then moving them to another destination and then offloading them? I've seen some talk of that over the years. I don't know if anybody's working on it right now. Um, That one just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Really, I, I don't know why there would be some advantage there. It seems like, you know, if you look at one of the problems we always face in the trucking industry, have forever, and technology's made it a little better, but you'd be shocked to know how many fleets have no idea where a lot of their trailers are. That's always been a problem. Trailers get lost in the system all the time because we exchange them like that. You put them on trailer or on trains, you leave them in yards to get loaded and unloaded. We drop and hook trailers all the time and they get lost in the system. I, I, I can remember I worked for a broker and when I quit working for him, I went to take his trailer back and he didn't have any place to put it. I ended up keeping that trailer and using it for like eight months and, until he could finally find a place and he paid for it. I wasn't going to pay for it. That happens all the time. I can't imagine we'd want to start moving trucks around like that, too. Right. It was trucks and trailers, and it was going to be three corridors. One was California. One was in Dallas. Um, And it said something to help avoid some of the, or in Texas, avoid the Dallas traffic. And then one was Wyoming which really made no sense because I can't imagine there's a whole lot of traffic in Wyoming. The only thing I can think of in Wyoming or out West is that they're just trying to cover a lot of miles, you know, on a train because there's just so many Mm -hmm. miles out there of nothing. But if, you know, the way you explained it there might make a little more sense in a controlled corridor where, you know, you've got a problem and this is going to solve the problem. I could see that. But the idea of, of doing that with tractor and trailer, the way we move trailers around to me, sounds like an absolute nightmare. Well, it didn't make sense or like it'd be profitable. But what, one interesting thing that they said was that we're only using 5% of our rail capacity. Out of those 5%, the thousand <laughs> crash. Wait, wait, wait. wait. We're still reaching out of Ukraine. What, what does that even mean? No, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. What does that mean? We're only using yeah. 5% of our rail capacity. Right. Yeah. We should have trains one, one after another to use all the rail. But one of the things I've been down. hearing is that these, these derailments and crashes are more likely because we keep putting together bigger and longer trains, which sounds to me like we're, we're not under capacity. We're probably over capacity. Yeah. And no. if you think back, uh, back when the um, North Dakota was just booming with all the fracking and the oil, that's the rail line that I would take. I just took it last year from here to Chicago, the Amtrak line from here to Chicago. Uh, this time that I took that train, we have almost no activity going on up in North Dakota. We were early. We were on time to every single stop. There were times where they were actually slowing the train down because we were going to be early somewhere. When those oil trains were running, that train was sometimes 24 hours behind because there was so much traffic on that line. 
That doesn't sound to me like a system that's only using a tenth or a fifth of its capacity or whatever they were claiming. Five percent, yeah. 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 The numbers definitely seem low. Yeah. Yeah, Pete, you need to check your sources. I don't know where you're getting this information from. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think uh, while we were going there, what's that? Back in 1972, when I was with Dravot Corporation, I wanted to send some of our freight to Seattle via truck because they were in a hurry, but they wanted the powers to be put it on a rail car and they told me to chase it. I said, chase a rail car. Yeah. Chase it. Find out every day where it is. 21 days, Pittsburgh to Seattle. That's about right on the rail. I think they've improved that some, but it's not a, it's usually not a fast mode, which, you know, all of these modes could work if they're, if they're used correctly. You know, a slow mode like a train is very, very efficient. They move a lot more freight per gallon of diesel fuel than we can in a truck. Their their time isn't going to be. So we have lots of freight that it just moves every day. We know it moves every day. We could schedule that stuff a year out. That, that kind of stuff should be going on the rail. Makes sense. Uh, we should be doing more... Um, and we would probably get more of that business if we would do more interlining or kind of what the, the LTL companies do. Like when I was at FedEx, we had either a team, you know, if it was a longer run, took it from point A to point B, uh, terminal to terminal and everything's scheduled and you can move freight cheaper that way. Um, or we had single drivers who met other single drivers in the middle. So everybody got home at night and it, it almost completely eliminates the whole idea of driver turnover, driver shortage. I had zero. I had a waiting list of people that wanted to work for me because it's, it's such a great job when we do that. We should be doing more of that with general freight. And I, I, we've been talking about it for about two decades, but it never seems to happen. You know, think of all the dedicated freight that's being moved randomly by a single driver in a single truck, and it might be moving from Seattle to San Diego, and the driver who's moving it lives in Pennsylvania, because that's the way our system is. We just set drivers loose all over the country, and everybody runs around. So much of that freight could be scheduled and dedicated, and we could get about half of our drivers home on a really regular basis. But for some reason, we can't seem to put that together. Well, and with that, we're going to go to the phones. We're going to get started right there in Pennsylvania. Ken, welcome to the program. Hi, Kev. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, I'm over here in Harrisburg today. And, um, you know, you keep talking about the, the, the train derailment. I'll tell you, you know, our, my farm's up there just south of Erie and I've been kind of sweating it because you never know what's going to happen there. You know, you got chickens and cows and, you know, livestock on the farm and, and you see the, some of the reports that chickens just ended up dead that are local in that area. That, that kind of was a scary deal, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Ken, I just, uh, just realized who this is when you said your farm there. Um, I, I agree. I, you know, I get my food from a lot of farms back in that area. There are a lot of more organic, more regenerative farms back there. I mean, even Virginia really isn't that far away from the area we're talking about here because we don't know 
how big or bad this is going to be because they're not telling us anything. But I am already starting to pay attention and I'm telling other people, pay attention to labels. Be careful with bottled water. A lot of bottled water on the market comes right out of municipal water supplies. Not all bottled water is spring water or coming out of the mountains or out of Fiji. A lot of bottled water is just being bottled right at the water plant that everybody gets their water out of the faucet from. And I have seen several brands that are bottled really close to that area. Yeah, yeah, some scary stuff. You know, I thank God that we, we you know, that's a two, 200-year-old well at my farm, and it's just some of the best spring water you can come up with. But you can bet. Being south of Erie, here probably in the spring. I'm going to do some testing. Yeah, you should. Just just so I know, you know? Yeah. Watering uh, all of my cows, my chickens, my horses, uh, you know? Yeah. My wife got a, a, a new gig with the, with the, the uh, pigs coming here this spring. You know, man, I don't want to be eating... eating <laughs> Chemical. The whole idea of having a farm is to have good meat, you know? No, I, I, you know, I grew up in that area, so I realized there's a lot of farmland there, but I was shocked at how many smaller farms you can still find in that area. You know, we're, we're almost to the point yeah. where, you know, the farther west you get, the bigger and bigger farms in the Midwest. They're all big factory, corporate-run crap now, but I, you know, forgot or didn't realize how many small farms are still in that area? Right. Yeah. It's it's amazing. You, you, you know, and, you know, traveling the back roads by my farm, it's just people have like a little half acre, uh, and and now they got you see chicken coops going right. up everywhere. I mean, people yeah. are really really trying. Yeah, which is a good really sign. I think. have good food. Yeah, I'd love to see that, but boy, it, it uh, we're certainly fighting a battle here. Or you got that? Hey, Ken, I can, right now I'm looking at a weather map, a boating weather map, and it's showing the wind is going straight east. So it should carry that smoke um, straight across Pittsburgh and and not up toward Erie. So you may be in luck. Yeah, well, uh, last Friday uh, I was listening to the show and and, um, Brian was on here talking to you about a a bunch of stuff, including... uh, uh, you know, finances and, and his wife and stuff. And I was getting a chuckle out of that. I was going to, I tried to get I was going to call you and say, Hey, it's snowing. I'm just about home. And the, the snowflakes are green. I think, <laughs> I think that smoke. <laughs> yeah. But it, it got, it got too late in the show. I'm like, yeah. Kevin's already freaked out about all these chemicals. I'm just going to bag it. <laughs> Yeah, you know the um I want to I want to talk about one other thing because I I do report on a lot of this stuff right now. I I am spending most of my day chasing down news stories, making sure they're right. There's something going on, there's a lot of something's going on. But the one thing I try to do, I really try not to overhype this, not to post stuff that isn't, you know, real. One of the things that made me stop and think the other day you know, a lot of times we're posting about things we, we may not understand how they work every day. And I saw somebody post about a truckload from Kraft Foods. They were making a big deal that this was a trailer load of food from Kraft. Like we don't move about a gazillion of those every day. Pretty normal. But they were making a big deal because these trailers were getting sent underground. 
Well, what do we do in Kansas City? I mean, what do we have there? And they show them going down into the tunnels. We do. We've been doing that forever. That's a normal thing. It's not right. any big deal that we're sending truckloads of food down underground. But if you don't understand the industry and understand that that happens every day and it has been forever, it, it sounds scary, right? So that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to yeah. avoid. I'm trying to, and it takes a lot of time to go figure that stuff out. Yeah, well, this issue we got going, I mean, that's that's minor compared to this. This is kind of some ugly, scary stuff going on. I, I think like so, too. Much. Yeah, I, I I agree. And and the, the worst part is that we're not getting any information. So, of course, we're going to start speculating and come up coming up with all kinds of crazy theories. If you don't want us to do that, get down there and tell us what the hell's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get our report from Trump tomorrow. He's supposed to go and visit. That's a pretty smart move on his part. You know what I was a little shocked about? You guys probably all remember this. We're about the same age. This goes back a long, long way. Remember, and I don't even remember the the movie or the story exactly, but the name Aaron Brockovich, maybe that was the name of the movie. I don't remember. Do you remember that story, though? Wasn't it in like the 70s? Mm Mm-hmm. And the story was, and I may not get it right, but I think she lived near some sort of a factory that was polluting the environment and people were getting sick and she made a big deal about it and they tried to shut her up and she fought back. And the, just the, she's there now. She's going there this week too. Isn't that kind of bizarre? I mean, the whole thing, when I heard that name, because to me that was like a, a movie, but I heard that name and she's yeah. there this week. Oh, man. Yeah. Some people think this is serious. I don't know how you could think it's not serious, but (laughs) the media doesn't seem to care. Now, I did hear from the the, the, the whole thing gets more bizarre all the time. Remember back during the BLM riots and the the couple in St. Louis, they kept talking about they came out of their mansion with guns. The guy had an AR and his wife standing there with a pistol and the mob was going through their yard. Remember that one? And they got prosecuted for that and charged. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they were going to go to jail for protecting their own property. And we had it on video. All they did was come out and stand in their yard and on their porch with guns. I, I thought we were allowed to do that when you have a mob breaking down your fence. But they were charged. They were going to go to jail over that. And luckily, the I think it was the governor actually pardoned them so that they didn't end up going to jail. Well, they're attorneys and she is from that area. They're down there now as well. And what he is saying is that it's a media blackout and nobody will talk to you. Unbelievable. <laughs> absolutely unbelievable. This, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm protecting my farm. I don't care. I'll go to jail. If absolutely. Like guns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things get ugly, you know, and you got a, a field full of cows in the far back 40 field. You got to find a way to protect them. Hey, hey, Ken, since I'm all over the board politically, we might as well go for one more since you just brought that up. Um, Down, I I think it's either Texas or Arizona. I think it's Texas, though. Um, One of the border states down there, uh, cattle rancher, guy's 74 years old, I think. It's him and his wife on the ranch by themselves. They're right on the border. And they have had lots of issues with 
illegal immigrants coming right through their farm. Um, I guess at one point he did have a weapon aimed at him. He was trying to protect his own farm. Well, it happened again, and he shot the guy and killed him. He's being prosecuted for murder. And he's in jail with no bail, and his wife's at home on that on that ranch alone now. Something's not right about all this, you know? Something is not right, that's for sure. All right, what else is on your mind today? Uh, well, you said we were all about the same age. Here in two days, I'm going to be 60, and... Just saying, just saying. You don't have to believe me. I just feel like I'm 30, maybe even less. <laughs> hey, Ken, uh, like I said, we're, we're all about the same age. I'll be 60 on May 2nd, so um, uh, I'm not far behind you. And I can say the same thing. I, it, in many ways, I feel better now than I did in my 20s. Yeah, me too, man. I'll tell you, it's an uh, amazing journey. Thanks to you. Hey, listen. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to call, I love, I love the chat, but I know, I know uh, as the show goes on, uh, the calls are going to back up. And before that does, um, Brian, I was listening to that show last Friday, and he said we were talking about 10-liter engines. And um, he called in, and that 618 horse fly, uh, flywheel horsepower 10-liter that was me he was talking about. And I feel, you know, I just got to call in because uh, I need to throw a thanks out to Pittsburgh Power in addition to that. Um, and this 10-liter engine has really been an amazing thing for what I do in my business. Um, certainly not a heavy haul, but I can, I can put 30,000 pounds on the deck of the trailer and come up through Knoxville up 75 and right up through Tennessee, like it, like, like I'm empty. There it's you go. Amazing. Um, but the story that I wanted to tell you, well, I wanted to thank Pittsburgh power. Bruce, uh, ended up doing me right, making me an appointment. I had called because my oil sample come back and my soot levels were going up a little. And, my fuel mileage had dropped. It's looking back in my fuel gauge is 6.74 was a red flag for me. It was in, it was in the end of November, December. We're getting into the end of the time where we're getting the winter blend fuels. So some of that is a direct relation to that, but my oil sample with the soot levels, I'm like, I called Bruce and I said, listen, I got to get this overhead done. I got to get it done right. Get this thing straightened away. Well, he made me appointment, set me up with Eric, and I showed up for the appointment. And um, the man, Adam, great, did me a really great job. Did the overhead on this engine. You know, they don't see a lot of these 10-liter engines there at Pittsburgh Power. So... Um, there's a little bit more time invested into making sure they do it right. Adam, come into the, the sitting, you know, the lounge there at Pittsburgh Power with a nut in his hand. And he peeks around the corner and he's holding this nut. And I said, yeah. He said, I don't have any. And I don't feel like I'm comfortable putting this back together. He said, I don't think that that'll stay torqued because the threads are kind of stretched. So anyways, he said, Eric ordered, he overnighted 
a new uh, adjustment stud for in- injector number five and a nut. And I said, well, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I said, I think we need to order them all. We're in there. Let's just replace them all. So Eric did a fine job overnight in my uh, parts in. Uh, right there at International on Route 8, not far from Pittsburgh Power. And sure enough, um, those guys made it happen. Adam was so invested and so worried about my truck because I was under a load, Kevin. <laughs> and I I think I was freaking him out because I, you know, you think uh, an overhead. It's just, we're going to set the overhead. You're going to be on your way. Right. A simple overhead adjustment. We had to wait for parts to be overnighted. Wow. Caterpillar engine. Yeah. So anyways, he gets it all put back together. And uh, him and Eric did me a fine job, went over and above. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Excellent. Thank you, Bruce, for doing what you did. You're welcome. And Adam and Eric did a great job for me. And I want to share the results a little bit. So 6.74 before I got my overhead. Okay. Directly after I got the overhead, 8.13, 8.26, 8.95, 8.87, with a current 30-day average right now at 8.15. Wow. Push, pushing wow. 575 horsepower to the ground. Nice. With a 10-liter. Yeah, nice. I like it. So, so I, yeah, I wanted to share that because we're talking about 10 liters, and, you know, there's not a lot of 10-liter engines. No, there isn't. Uh, not in the Class 8 world. No. And back in 1999, when I found this 98 International, I bought it specifically for hauling commercial vehicles. So I was always like a step deck that loaded oversized vehicles that, a regular car hauler can't haul. So I kind of specialized in that. And having an 11 liter Cummins in my Freightliner before this, pulling the 53 foot step deck, I really liked that 11 liter. So when I found this truck, it was just weird to see a 10 liter, 279 rears with this big honking sleeper. I'm like, that's what I'm looking for, you know? <laughs> so That's a one of a kind. Here it is. All these years later, I've kept this truck, and today I like it better than the day I bought it because of you just breathe on that throttle and this thing's freaking rolling with a load on it. <laughs> there just you go. There so, you go. It's, re- uh, it's responsive, right? It's responsive. I'll tell you what, Bruce. The only thing I have, I have to drive the truck. You can't, you cannot just put anybody in this truck because I'll load up the trailer and I'll climb up, come to a big pool and this thing will go as fast as I want it to go. I can just jump in the hammer lane and just go. But I look at that EGT and that boost gauge, that boost gauge will be just Humming the 37, 38 foot ponds, but that EGT uh, with with the probe in the exhaust pipe after the turbo, it'll jump right up to a thousand like nobody's business. So I got to back out of it, drop a gear, breathe a little bit, 
get in the granny lane and just kind of ease my way up so I can control it. But the factory turbo on here is that has to be the issue, not let, letting it breathe enough. Yeah. Whenever uh, next time you're in, let's move the thermocouple to the hot side, put it in the exhaust manifold, and let's. Uh, I need to do a little research on a little bit bigger turbo for you. Yeah, you know, I, I did do a little research on, on my own, and I kept hitting a dead end, you know, like, uh, what is it, bully dog or something. When you when you start searching for uh, turbocharger slash C10, it, it always leads you back to that. But when you actually do the research, it's nothing that's even available. It actually is, it, it's misleading, it, you know. Got it. When you try right. to actually do the research. Hey Ken, we got a the part number off your turbo. All right, Bruce, we're we got to move along. I just looked down. We are slammed with calls. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention: uh, I got a few numbers in on the Tesla truck. It's still really hard to get any information about these things, even though we've got them on the road now and they're running. PepsiCo has has got. Um, they're they're starting to get their deliveries of these trucks. They've ordered a hundred of them, and and they're on the road. But it's interesting if you look at how they're being used. Um, they've got fifteen in Modesto, and they've got twenty one in Sacramento. And PepsiCo also owns Frito Lay. So in their Modesto run, they are running a four hundred and twenty five mile leg on one charge. That's with um, Frito Lay products. So really, really light. That stuff is crazy light. But they are getting 425 miles on a on a single charge on that operation. But out of Sacramento, where they're running Pepsi itself, they're only doing a hundred mile daily route. That's that's. Here's the other number in this though that that I don't know how they're measuring this, but. You guys tell me what you think of this number, because I think this is total bullshit. It says this project has delivered a 91% reduction in greenhouse gas. Well, first off, do they they never tell us how the electricity is being generated for that truck. Are they just ignoring that? Yeah, or like the emissions that goes into producing the truck. Correct. Right. I mean, just the electricity, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't believe for a second that that's a true 91% reduction in greenhouse gases over a diesel truck. I don't think that is even close to being accurate, especially when we hear no, that, I, like, isn't the number like 70-some percent of our electricity here is still produced by coal? Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're <clears> – <throat> this is just part of that whole green push. As much as I'd like to see these trucks succeed – I hate the way they're doing it. All right, let's get to some calls. They're piling up on us. We're going to go to Nebraska. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Hi, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Oh, so I I listened in last week, and you had the driver of the call in that had the old international, and it, it kind of reminded me a lot of what I'm doing. I'm a, I'm a fairly new listener. Um, I was out of driving for about five years other than, you know, just a little side gigs here and there driving some cars. Um, I bought, uh, I have a 97 Volvo WIA. Um, it was one of the last WIAs that was 
produced, and I think I got one of the last cheese trucks before everything went insane. Um, it's at home. I just finally got it on the road here last month. Um, it's got a 12.7 Detroit, uh, nine speed. Uh, it has 370 gears. Um, so it's, it, it, it really needs to be geared differently because it doesn't drive where I want. But my biggest question is that my, my Detroit, it's, uh, 370, 430 Detroit. Um, it's got the 171-702 turbo on it, which from what I have been reading is intended for the Detroits that have a lot more power. And I have been, well, one of, one of the first things that I'm going to, that's on my list to do to this truck. So I'm going to take it in, get an overhead done onto it, and I'll see if they can't turn me up to a straight 430. Uh, but I was wondering if this turbo might be holding me back or causing some kind of issue because uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little box and it doesn't seem like it cools up slow or anything. It builds about 23 pounds loose whenever you're I'm pulling hard. Um, but it, it just, just seems under power. Well, you are horsepower wise for what we put that turbo on. So if we program that ECM, um, even if we did something relatively mild, like a five and a quarter or so setting, I'm just going to wake that turbo up. Simple putting a program in there. It is a little bit large for that lower horsepower. Okay. It, it drives. It drives similar to an old uh, 300 formula that I used to drive. Uh, it, it just, I was just always expecting a little bit more. I drove out to Ogden, Utah last week, and, and, it, and it did it. And it, it, got, it got just under six miles to the gallon doing so. And there was a few of those hills that was, uh, I was, I was the slowest guy on the hill. Then I don't why, don't you let, why don't you let us tune it? And then let's see how it'll be. It'll be more responsive, but it won't be doggish. Just a simple tune on that engine. I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that down the road, but it, it's all like, since I'm getting started out. I got that's something that I got to put money aside for. Yeah. All right, but you see, if you do the tune now, it may pick you up a mile, mile and a half, or two mile of the gallon, and then the power will match the turbo. And then you'll make that money back at fourteen hundred and fifty dollars. You'll make back within a month. Yeah, yeah, and I, I understand what you're saying. I just don't want to spend any of my maintenance savings or anything like that on it. Yeah, I I have a hmm. fun just for doing upgrades truck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I might hear so much like noise. Yeah, we do have a really noisy line somewhere. Yeah, and I don't know if it's my headset or if it's uh, from my door getting squeaked in the Wyoming wind. Yeah. Well, I got the weather stripping that's leaking right by my head. But I can tell you, you're working your body and you're working your truck too hard being so underpowered. So you don't want to wait too long to get that done. There you go. Yeah, I, I really don't, but. I wasn't sure if uh, the, the bigger turbo would cause me issues in the future because I know this isn't uh, the premium 12.7 or whatever they called it. That's, you know, 
Well, well, let's 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 see what it let's see what it is and what the compression ratio and exactly what engine it is. What year is it? Uh, Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. So, I have a feeling that would go to five hundred with no problems, and then the turbo's fine for you. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas this time. Rusty, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Uh, I was wondering if y'all, I'm, I need to change out a differential housing. And I was thinking about doing it myself, but I, it's the front differential. So you got the power divider there. What Do you need uh, special tools to pull the uh, third member out? Uh, can y'all just kind of walk through what that would, what I would be uh, getting myself into there? I've got a cracked housing. I need to, you know, I need to change the housing itself. Leroy, do you want to run out and grab one of the mechanics? Yeah, I can do that. I'll be back. Okay. We'll grab one of the mechanics that does that. Because when Pete and I was in the shop, we didn't do differentials. Oh, okay. I was wondering what, what the ring what the ring gear, uh, it seemed like that would be the, I don't know if you need a puller or I don't know how that ring gear is attached inside that housing. It's bolted on to the carrier. Just bolted on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there's any special tools you're going to need. Are you going to change your gear ratio at this time? I'm sorry. What was that? Are you going to change your gear ratio at this time? No, I, uh, we, I've, I've got to, I've got to stick with the 355s. We've, uh, they're, they're pretty fresh anyway. The housing cracked not long after I put them in. And, uh, yeah, my operation, I've talked, I've talked to you guys several times and we've decided that I don't do enough on the highway to justify that change. So, uh, yeah, I just, the, the, the rest of the job doesn't look too complicated. Uh, it's eight bag Kenworth. So, um, it just, Looks pretty pretty simple. I just don't know what I'm going to get into uh, trying to get those gears out and put back in the new housing. So anyway, if y'all want to talk about it later, you can. Uh, I don't want to hold up the phone line waiting. So well, he should be in any second now because he's only about 50 feet away from the mechanics where his office is. Oh wait, he had to. Uh, PC up in my office. No, we're in my office. We do the show from. Oh okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> I could I could comment I, on I, something else. I've got uh, Kevin. If you remember, I've got the the N14 that was uh, making high viscosity. Oh, remember yeah. that engine? Yeah, viscosity was going. So I ended up uh, I had a I developed a tick in the engine, and so we ended up taking it apart, figuring it out. We've found a uh, a bad cam and a scored liner, and so we ended up. Uh, doing an out of frame on it and uh so i'm gonna be interested to see what my old samples are now but the i've got a really good uh, old mechanic that i think he just did a great job on it i've i gained about six pounds of oil pressure nice lost about uh i don't know 250 300 degrees of pyrometer temperature yeah and, and picked up five more pounds of five more pounds of boost so the truck is just running great. It's running cool. And uh, I'm really excited to see what the oil sample looks like. You know, the I, I could change the oil and just immediately pulling the dipstick out. It was 
black as it could be. Nice. Since we've got, since we did the outer frame and got that block all cleaned up, this oil is just just clear. I can barely Good. see it on the stick after Good. you know and those are thousand miles. So I, I bet you those are all mm-hmm. good signs. I bet your samples are going to clean right up. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm real uh, real happy with what's my mechanic and all that. What CPL do you have? Twenty five ninety two. Did you take it right? from three sixty two on the timing to three fifty two? Uh we talked about it, but um, no, I did not. I, my mechanic didn't think it would make as much difference as uh, you think it does. So, all right. When you read most of the lead engineer with the computer, when the that's not true. When the lead engineer comes calls you and tells you to do that, you should do that. But anyway. Yeah. Well, we, it might have been the thing to do, but, it, you know, when you've got a really good mechanic, you don't want to push him too far. You want to let him uh, <laughs> use his expertise, too, I guess. All right. He, he would have done it if I told him to, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm pretty proud of it the way it is. So, all right, hey, anyway. Bruce. Um, Adam's with the customer, um, but he told Leroy that no special tools, and it does help if you have an overhead to lift things out. Yeah, makes it the way. Okay, like a crane. Yeah, yeah. but they're kind of yeah. heavy. I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or or one of well, the jacks. Okay. They make a jack a, a jack to change the differential pumpkins. Okay. Maybe I can pick up on that later. I've got to jump out anyway. So thank you all for taking my call. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Montana this time. Tom, welcome to the program. Yeah, hello. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, um, I had a question on a 94 Freightliner cab over um, with a cat motor. And I don't know what cat motor's in the darn thing. Uh, it's got an injector uh, pump. It, 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 that's what it needs anyway. Uh, does anybody is anybody familiar with those? Is that a good uh, good tractor? Isn't isn't that one of the years where you could have gotten a mechanical or some of the early electronics? It's a, it's I'm a thinking it's a C model. Yeah, you might get. No, that's a good engine. One, if you're looking, if you're looking to buy that truck, that that that's a good engine. So. And then what about the what about the cab? Is that any good at all? Yeah, you know that's not a bad truck. It, it's far, that's that was built more like the FLD than you know the Freightliner really fell apart with the Columbia and the uh, whatever the hell that other one was. Um, but the the Century. cab over was more like the FLD, a little more solid. Okay, I can get it for a song. Um, and then. Uh, one comment on the railroads. Uh, maybe if the railroads were wider than four feet, eight inches, they wouldn't uh, be real at a thousand a, a year. I, I know that's probably impossible to do now, but um, one time I looked it up and they said that they were made that width because it's all off of the old Roman chariots. And then the guys that built the Roman chariots made the ruts in the road. And then the guys that built the uh, eventually built the the wagons, had the tools to build the cars, and, and they just kept with that same width. And uh, you've seen how tall some of those things get, uh, especially the 
car hauler ones are what 14 16 feet high <clears throat> anyway that um i found that pretty interesting but uh that's uh sort of not a real good idea to go that high with four feet eight inches eight and a half inches i guess is what you say this this is absolutely one of those cases of one of one of the phrases that i hate the most in life and especially in business when you ask somebody why do you do it like this? That doesn't seem to make, well, that's the way we've always done it. I hate that answer, but that's exactly what happened here. You are exactly right. When they built the first trains in England, the engineers based it on the spacing of the ruts in Rome when we had horses and chariots, that that's the model they used, and we've never changed it. That just seems, that, that, that's like, Crazy thinking. Humans usually don't think that way. We're always trying to mess with something and prove it. But every once in a while, we get in this mode of, well, that's always, that's the way we've always done it. What's well, a stupid way? Maybe we should have rethought this. When I worked on the farm in Kentucky, they have uh, sinkholes. And so they throw all the muck at the sinkhole and that made it, made the sinkhole worse, you know? And then I said, well, why do you keep throwing the muck in the sinkhole? I said, well, that's where grandpa did it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, but, you know, if you think about it, the rail lines were built really before most of our cities were very big. The rail was some of the first infrastructure we built. And we have more room in this country than we know what to do with. Russia has wider trains. Um, we should have had wider trains. We have tons of room. Not only would they have been safer, they would have been more efficient. Much more, much more. Yeah, and and uh, to go back and, and and redo it now would be oh, you know, probably cost prohibitive. It, yeah, it's never. Possible. It's almost one of those things that's never going to happen until we come up with some new technology and look about it's some of the worst public projects I have ever seen are high speed rail. I don't know why we can't figure out high speed rail in this country that boondoggle going on in California right now. Um, they've spent a gazillion dollars on that and I don't know if it's ever gonna be finished. Uh, we just can't seem to well, change or upgrade our rail system. You don't have much no, old, old uh, Mayor Pete there, do you? I'm sure you can get it done. Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny. I. I I just saw another quote by Mayor Pete, and now he's claimed, because he's taken a lot of heat over his total inaction and ineptitude on this train derailment, but he made the statement um, that I was the mayor of my town for eight years, and we faced a lot of disasters. What disasters? What's what's he talking about? He was in Indiana, and that little, where was he? Didn't even get hit by a tornado or anything. It, nothing. Nothing. They haven't faced any disasters. I don't know what he's talking about. He's a dog. Go ahead. Oh, that's a bad wreck. All right. Well, that's all I had. Thanks for yeah. So five grand for that. Uh, that um, that uh, buy it. I mean, how, how do I? Yeah, how do I screw that up? Right? Buy it. Yeah, you you can't mess that one up. You could part it out for more than that. Let's go to North Carolina. Bert, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys today? Doing good. What can we help you with? And the last time I called you, I stumped you. Hopefully, I don't stump you this time. Well, if I got you a do, 2019 Kenworth 99. If you do, we're going to cancel you for life. Go ahead. <laughs> I got a 2019 Kenworth 990 with an X15 performance engine. 
It's been on Catalyst since day one. It's got uh, 343s with an 18 over. Run fairly good for a long time. Ridiculous, stupid on fuel mileage, but owner of the truck doesn't want to do anything, so I just drive it like I stole it. But on Thursday morning, I woke up, I started the truck, I let it idle for maybe 15 minutes, went in, brushed my teeth, did my log, whatever, went to drive out of the truck stop. So I was driving maybe a half a mile, basically not more than an idle, and all of a sudden it wanted to die. It wouldn't idle. It would idle real rough. I let go of the pedal. It went down to 100, maybe 200. That went on for about maybe three to four minutes. And I thought, well, if I shut it off and reset something, maybe that'll work. That didn't help. It ran for another two to three minutes and then it died. I started it up and it ran like a top until this morning. This morning, same scenario, started the truck up, brushed my teeth, did what I had to do idled out of the truck, not much more than an idle in second gear out of the truck stop, hit the road, no fuel. I could not keep it running this time. Every time I started it, it would start right away, but then it would go just idle real rough like it was running out of fuel and die. I did that about four times and then I thought, hmm, this is ridiculous. I sat for maybe five minutes, tried it again, been running like a top all day. And the only thing that they did between last Thursday and today was they changed the fuel filters. How many miles are on it? 374,656. Leroy, do you have any thoughts? It's got to be electrical. Uh, So when this happened, did it throw any sort of stop engine lights or check engine lights or anything? No. No, no codes, no engine lights, no nothing. And did you have throttle control? No, I had absolutely no, just enough. It's the, on thir- the first time it did it, I had just enough throttle control to keep it running, but it wouldn't rev up. This morning, I had nothing. And when you say it doesn't rev up, like when you press the throttle, like there was no response or it just nothing. felt like it was just running out of fuel? No response. This morning, no response. On Thursday, almost like it was running out of fuel. That's why they changed the fuel filters. Mm. So it did it before the fuel filters? Mm, yes, it did it last Thursday the first time, and then it did it this morning again. Fuel filters were changed on Friday. Yeah, so it's not the ECM that's shutting it off. Um, and even if you had any sort of bad um, a wiring to the only bad wiring that would cause that sort of an issue is if you had um, sort of an intermittent connection on the ignition pin or on the ECM itself that was causing the engine to sort of stumble and die. Sort of most likely not it. Uh, you could check battery connections and things like that. Um, but the uh, started up like a top. Battery connections have been fine. Sorry. It it sounds like uh, yeah, kind of just like a mechanical problem, like a fueling issue or something. There's nothing in the ECM that's not. If it's not throwing a so, check engine light or going into shutdown, uh, there's nothing in the ECM that will cause it to do something like that and just shut off. When when you say mechanical fueling issues, do you mean within the pump somewhere? Um, yeah, fuel lines, pumps. Uh, you know the accumulator. Uh, things like that. Hmm. Okay. Because I, uh, if, like I, if, if the ECM wants to go into shutdown and it's the reason that your truck is shutting off, it will throw a light and wait 30 seconds before it shuts off. But it sounds like yours is sort of stumbling and then dies, which tells me that it's some sort of non-electrical, you know, physical thing, which most of the time it's uh, a fueling issue. Yeah, because like basically this, and it's, it's feels like it's just running out of fuel. If there's no fuel in there, it just stumbles and stutters and then just dies. 
Yeah, and this is going to be a tough one to fix. Well, you know, just same old story. If you can't get it to do it every time, it's kind of hard to fix. So, huh. And it seems it's done it twice now, and only in the morning after starting it up and basically idling out of the truck stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I was think- hoping maybe you guys would give me some direction when I go to the shop. But do you have a fuel restriction gauge in the truck? Uh, yes, I do. So when um, prior to changing the filters, did the restriction go up? Did you notice anything there going on? Uh, no, no. The restriction is always down low. And when when we first got the truck, I guess that was when Cummins had the old fuel filters. I mean, the restriction always went up there. Now they've got a 30 micron filter in there. So fuel restriction hardly ever moves. Because, okay. you know, my thought was, you know, if it is a restriction issue or a filter issue, it'd show up on the, um, uh, the fuel restriction gauge, which it did not. No, so I'm not sure why changing the filters made any, anything different. No, I, I, I'm not saying it did. That was just basically, well, we got to do something. Maybe this is the problem. Okay. Because like, like it just the first when I started it up and went to leave on Thursday, and then this morning it was exactly the same thing. And then once I got her rolling, got her going down the road, she's fine. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of a hard one to diagnose, uh, you know, over the air or on the phone. That's kind of something you got to have yeah, to get looked at. And if it's not accurate, you're not, but you're, you're not going to be able to find it either. But I can tell you that it's not an electrical problem. It's not an ECM issue. It's okay. not a calibration. It's nothing like that. So it's purely some sort of, you know, outside issue. Okay, if we ever do find out the problem, I'll call you guys back and let you know. Okay. Maybe I can stump you a second. <laughs> no, we're semi. Thanks for a great day. You're on thin ice here, Bert. We're going to let you slide, but you're on thin ice. <laughs> let's. let's uh, oh, hey, um, maybe um, maybe Mayor Pete was correct. Um, we just had another train derail. Uh, 31 cars in Gothenburg, Nebraska. Looks like all that was on it. They're saying right now is there was nothing on it but coal, uh, so they're not worried about it. But 31 cars off the tracks today, so maybe it is a daily occurrence. Who knows? And I just saw we'll get another, another one in a couple minutes. What's that? You said we'll get another one in a couple minutes or something, right? Or Probably. Yeah, we should, if he's right, we should average about two and a half a day, I think. No, yeah, we'll get one here soon. Yeah. The other thing I'm noticing an awful lot of, I reported on one yesterday back from my hometown, one of the suburbs of Cleveland, they had a big warehouse fire, big warehouse fire with an explosion. We've had several in central Florida reported this week. There was a a big factory that stores the plastic pots that uh, used to start plants in. Uh, There was another one down there, some sort of a recycling plant was on fire, big plumes of smoke. And just this morning, another explosion. And I think two people dead down there. They're showing some factory, but maybe those are normal too. Maybe that happens every day. We just don't see it on the news. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. All right. So Let's, I just uh, train wreck in the USA and it does say a thousand a year. I, why didn't we know that? Doesn't that seem really excessive? It does. So it's almost three a day. If yeah, that's what I said. A little more than three two and a half a day. Let's think about this. We take the other modes of transport that we use. Vehicles on the highway. We know that's dangerous, and and it's going to be dangerous for a long time because you have human beings all running around, you know, crashing into each other. That makes sense. 
our airplanes used to be really, really safe. One of the most complicated ways of moving anything. And yet we have almost zero crashes up until now. We've got some problems in the aviation industry today, too. Um, I'm, I've heard from professional pilots that say they wouldn't fly anymore. Our system is getting that bad in the air. But let's think about what could be safer than moving things on rail. You control almost everything. We should have no crashes like so this. Long. Two and a half a day, we should have zero. Why is it so hard to keep a train on the tracks when you control the whole system? It's relatively flat in most areas. Right. You know, snow, ice isn't a concern. I'm not taking the train. People are like, oh, take the train. I'm not taking the train anywhere now. No, they crash all the time. I have like, they, yeah. You know, the only the only accident, uh, legitimate accident for a train, absolutely, is when somebody stops on the track and we run into a car or a truck. They can't really control that. I, I get that. You know, people go around the blockades and all that stuff. And I mean, it happens. That's the one accident I could see. But these derailments make no sense to me at all. We should have zero. I would think so. But. So what I'm looking at now is that we had 2,200 derailments in 2001. What? For over 1,400 in 2011. So I would uh, say, you know, if a train hits a truck or car doesn't derail, they're not counting that. I mean, that's right. a train wreck. That's not a derailment. Right. That's well, well then a thousand, a they're, they're still sandbagging us when they say a thousand a year. Well, that's so 2021, they're saying 1,087 derailments. <laughs> oh, I thought you said 2,000. Yeah, well, if you average the three years you just gave us, it's not a thousand. Yeah, it's going down, but it's still an unacceptable number. Yeah, uh, horribly unacceptable when we see what may have happened now. And and we may not be able to reverse any of the damage that's done by this. It, it's uh, all right. We're going to move along. Um, we're going to go to Chicago. Larry, welcome. Hey, how are we doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I, I live in Ohio, Western Ohio, and uh, I have a good friend of mine that just retired from Norfolk Southern. Uh, he's been there 20 years and we, we meet at the coffee shop, about 10, 12 of us. And I heard you talking about that derailment a week ago. I think it was that we got to talking about that. And I said, why is there no news media coverage? And two, two guys there spoke up right away and said there was, um, apparently one newsman started reporting on it and got arrested that that's true they said he was i i have video footage of that information yeah okay okay yeah they did a yeah they did a press conference at a school um a local school there they were just holding a press conference and in the video, you don't see any reason why they're taking this guy out. You don't know, did he say something? You just don't know. The video starts, and they're trying to walk him to the door and get him out of there, and eventually they put him in handcuffs and take him away. Right. So um, I just thought that might help you. Maybe you could Google it, but you've already done that. So. Yeah, I, I've, tried, I've found as much information as I can, and, and there's not a lot. 
You know, think about this in the past. When we have stories like this, especially in the last 20 years since cable news came around, we have multiple 24-hour news channels. Remember when there used to be 10 of these reporters lined up there doing live shots of stuff like this? Right. Where's everybody? Fake news has been hidden. It, it it used to be in the past you got sick of this coverage because it was on the TV 24 hours a day for weeks. Now we have nothing, and nobody seems to think that's odd. Well, I, I do, and I, and I think that they're afraid to do that because they don't want to get arrested like, you know, this other fellow did. I, that's, that's, that's scary. If that's where we are in this country, that... Even our independent journalists now are afraid to be locked up or they are being locked up. That's a really scary thought. Right. So, well, we'll, well uh, really ahead, Kevin. I just, I, Larry, I appreciate it. I'm taking all the information I can get. Uh, I'm going to stay on top of this. Let's, um, let's go to Indiana. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, I just couldn't resist and be a smart aleck and uh, send you that, uh, send you my, sample the picture of that dipstick with the clear oil in my series 60 uh, yeah but you you're not telling us the truth you just poured this in and you didn't even touch the key what's that i said but the real story oh. is you just poured this oil in there and you didn't even turn the key on no it i did change it uh, the week before it only had 1500 miles on it well, it's still, like I said, normally on a Series 60, you start them up and check it, and it looks black already. Yeah, I'm running the uh, OPS power, uh, the fuel additive, and that uh, really helps keep everything clean. I'm, I'm just amazed. Yeah, no, that, that looks good on the yeah. stick there. And I just got my uh, – so I had to be a smart aleck, and I wanted to tell you I just – I'm a title. I did everything the wrong way. Before I heard your program, I had a couple of trucks that I lost because people just can't, you know, you just never want to pay off somebody else's truck. It never, it won't work for you. Yeah. Good point. Um, I got the, I got the title and, uh, thanks to your, I think thanks to your program, I'm still in business and making money. So I want to thank you for that. Good. Good. Um, You're welcome. And then I think it's about time to get it out to Pittsburgh power. I was wondering uh, if Bruce could give me a rough idea on a 12.760 series, uh, the manifold, the turbo, just basically the full, the full Monty, including the tune. Uh, what? Uh, how, how many dollars do I need in the bank to head make an appointment with Pittsburgh? Pete is the one that gives the prices, so Pete's your guy on that one. Pete, could you put okay. something together for him? Yeah. So the tune's 1450. Uh, I'm sure my mic, mic was up. Tunes 1450, um, manifolds 1550, and the turbos 1050. And we could get you in here if you want us to do the work in, in a couple, uh, say maybe a week's notice. The small jobs yeah. like that, we can get in quicker. Um, anything big, we're out of ways, but the smaller jobs, we can squeeze in. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, um, mm-hmm. would it, I probably have you, I haven't done the overhead since I got it. The engine had about, it's got. I put about two hundred fifty thousand on. We're probably at five hundred thousand now without the overhead. So I'd probably yeah, add that on. Then. Yep, for sure. We we'll want to do that. Yeah. What type of truck was this again? 
Uh, it's a um, uh, Series 60 12.7 liter in a uh, Freightliner Coronado glider. Okay. The uh, the engine itself is a pre-emission. Uh, doesn't even have an EGR right. valve. Right. Yeah, it's about 500 in labor for the overhead. Okay, awesome. So, like less than five grand, I'd come out there, stay in a hotel a couple of days, and get her done. So those, the prices were without labor. Um, with tunes in there, the, the manifold. Uh, let's look at a thousand. Um, about six grand parts and labor. Grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that, uh, that'll only take me now if the truck's paid for. That probably will take me about uh, six or eight weeks to get that together. So I'll get it together and give you guys a call. I, I want you to know how much I appreciate you guys doing the program because it's made a, a tremendous uh, impact on me being successful. Good. You're Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Texas this time. Sterling, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Kevin and Bruce, for being there for us. Uh, I'm basically, I'm not being a company driver anymore, and I've bet the farm a little bit on buying an old 1993 Freightliner cab over truck, and I'm in the process of going through it and getting things replaced and getting it up to uh, snuff so it can get out on the road. And I'm having a uh, mechanical issue with the truck. I replaced an injector. It had an injector go out. So what, I replaced that what, injector. What engine? What engine? It's a 3406E Caterpillar. It is an E? It's in a 3406 well, Yeah, it's a late 93 model. Yeah, and it is electronic. Wow. And it's got that was a really early version. Yeah, yeah, and it all, all of the electronics uh, so, check out fine. So I'm trying to remember back because we're we're going back a ways here. I remember I, I was running Series 60 at the time. It was early 90s when I had discovered the Volvo and a Series 60 and loved that combination. And But I was out looking for other trucks and I came across a couple Fords. I was looking for day cabs. I, was, I had a contract within Ohio. I was looking for a couple day cabs. I needed two and they had two. They were identical, came off the assembly line one right after the other one. They were the really early versions of the electronic cat. And I, I drove it and wouldn't buy it. The, the throttle response was so bizarre. It was their first attempts at throttle by wire. And it, it was just a little funky. Uh, who knows what, you know, what model that was or anything. I don't remember a lot of details, but it was just a weird experience trying to drive it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but I've driven the truck and it it runs great. It was a you know that a grip you know, truck. That's something that could have been software upgraded over the years, so probably not a big yeah. big deal. But um, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see the um, see the the model number and the details on these engines. Yeah, it's a it's a five really EK. The five EK has the least amount of the emissions in it it gets great fuel mileage it makes great power all it takes is a tune a manifold with turbo and put our damper and balancer on the front of the crank and you're you're in good shape you might have a really okay, nice truck there well it's in terrific condition because it was used in california for uh, movie sets oh wow um, no yeah. one ever slept it didn't stay in idle all the time and it's just like a brand new truck 
And nice. the real unusual part is it's got thirty foot box on it. <laughs> it's uh it's it's a real long wheelbase truck. I'm thinking about taking the box off or doing doubles if I can find a customer that that works for. So. Josh from Turnaround Transport just sent me a message. He's got a um, 1993 5 EK cat. He sent me the data tag. So they did have it back then, Kevin. Okay. Huh. Now that 95 was the first year, but here it is. I was going to say that 93 5BK. I think those two Fords I was looking at were 95s, and that way it, that's why it's always kind of stuck in my mind that that was when Cat kind of went to electronic. I didn't realize it was a couple years earlier. Yeah. Well, the only issue I've had with it is the injector went down on the truck. The truck sits a lot because it was my plan B, which has now moved up to plan A. <laughs> And uh, anyways, I replaced an injector. And next thing I know, uh, five injectors stopped working. So I couldn't get the truck to start. Although when you turn it off, there is a little bit of black smoke that comes out. Like maybe once the new injector is working. So I'm replacing all the injectors. And I didn't know if there's anything else I should be doing to this truck. I've gone through, replaced all of the, it's got 700,000 miles on it. And I think there's a strong possibility it's had a remand, but I don't have any documentation about that. Don't forget the damper and the balancer and run some Lucas injector cleaner in there along with our max mileage catalyst because that 1993 was not made for ultra low sulfur diesel fuel. Yeah, I've got to do the. I'm going to do that for sure. And I, I have not done an oil analysis on it because I don't know how many miles are on the oil and it's been sitting. And uh, I, I guess I'll just do the injectors, change the oil, and then I'd like to take it up to your shop and have you do all of that. Uh, We've had a couple. We've had a couple of those movie set trucks, and they're in really nice shape, by the way. Oh, yeah. This one's just pristine. It's really yeah. nice. It's like brand new truck being up in California there. Just didn't get into any weather. Both of these were cab over KWs with KT450s in them. They were used to move cameras. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just hoping that this will be a good truck. If I have to, I'm going to take the box off and maybe drink or shorten the frame a little because it's really long. It's a long wheelbase right now. But uh, main thing I want to do is just get it mechanically sound and then kind of venture from there. But I wasn't sure if there was anything I should be doing while I got the injectors out or be looking for. And I just I, I just don't know a whole lot about those motors. And I thought they were good, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great engine. There you go. Okay, that's great. All right. So I feel a little bit. Calls keep rolling in. We're going to get to them. We're going to head off to Alberta. Brett, welcome to the program. Hi, I've got a UX15, and uh, it'll be on the road in about three weeks. But beforehand, I'm putting on the uh, exhaust manifold, and I'm going to get a tune on it. So I was wondering if you guys would have dropping it off at a local shop that has a dyno. Um, yeah. With oh, uh, I bigger power, would you? Sorry. Uh, I, I didn't quite hear it. You said you wanted to drop it off at a shop that has a dyno. I, I didn't quite hear what you said. 
Yeah, it's a new truck, and I'm going to get your guys' tune on it. I'm in contact with the local tuner. And uh, I was like, there's also a shop I know has a dyno. So I was just wondering if I should have any concerns for talking it off with them with the bigger power. Um, I don't think that you, that's a concern to drop it off with them. Okay. I, well, I just kind of wanted to make sure there wasn't anything that should, any temperatures I wouldn't want them to go above or, or anything like that. The ECM will still govern the engine, so. Yeah, unless somebody removes the uh, protections for it. Yeah, it'll take care of itself. Yeah, I don't I don't know the shop too well. I just know they have the diamond. I kind, of, I kind of wanted to throw it off, get her nice and hot before I hit the road. Just, just tell them don't lug the hell out of it. Tell them you don't have to take it down to 1200 Just tell them to cut it off at 1400 Okay. Okay. All right. Copy that. That's good. Uh, just okay. Yeah, and then just quickly, I was kind of interested in this. Will you guys have an intake manifold, or, or I was also interested in the muffler? Do you guys have... Uh, no, you can't change the muffler on a new truck because it's a DPF. And what engine did you say it was? X15. X15. So, Pete, does the uh, intake manifold work on the new X15? I believe so. You know, it would not okay. a whole lot of the new, new stuff, but I, I don't see why when the engine serial number would verify that. Um, I know the and, manifold. And the exhaust is. manifold still works. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I already bought the exhaust. I'm uh, just in contact with your remote tuner. He, he mentioned that the intake won't, won't work. But we'll start with the exhaust anyways. Okay. Sounds good. Good luck. Okay. That's all I got. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Iowa. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, Matt, you you um, head you heading home or... You heading home or leaving out? Mm, headed south. Yeah, the the twenty some inches of snow they're expecting in Minneapolis, St. Paul is somebody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting out of Dodge. All right, go ahead. Yep. Uh, I got comments about trains, but I'll start with my question. I don't know how experienced you guys are with this. The coolant lines, just three quarter inch that run to my tri-pack, and then another set runs to my bunk heater. I'm going to be replacing them. I'm wondering if there's any reason I couldn't just run one set of lines and tee it off to go to the bunk heater. Why I'd have to run two separate sets of lines, that's the way Thermoking installed it, but I don't think there's a reason I need two sets of lines. Hmm. Are you going to have enough flow in the one line? Well, I'll, three quarters. Do you want to set that up? So the, the the straight line will run to the tri pack because that's the most important because that's got a pump. But and then the the T off line will go to the bunk heater, which isn't extremely important to me because don't idle and sleep in the truck. So it's a little bit of heat driving down the road on a super cold day. But I got a bunk heater okay. for for sleeping. So then I think you'd be okay. Okay. If you could put a Y in it, it would be better than a T, but there's room to put a Y. Okay. Yeah, and that's actually that's the tri pack is hooked up. They put Ys in on the heater core line for the cab. So it is actually already sliced off of an existing line. 
Why? But any preference on the type of hoses from three quarter, the silicone, or back to the original, just plain rubber, or what? Nah, I like the silicone. It's going to last yeah. a lot longer, and that's normally what we put on here: silicon hoses. Yep. All right. So some opinions and uh, my history with trains. I, I did some train derailment hauling years and years ago, and yes, they crash way more often than anybody would ever realize. What's a little bit misleading about these numbers of how many derail in a year, a lot of times that's one axle falls off the track, and all they got to do is jack it back up and set it back on, or they have some re-railers, which I haven't seen them use in a long time to kind of just limp it back on by pulling it, but the um, the maintenance of the railroad is no better than the maintenance of our highways. It, it's all <laughs> way behind schedule. 10, 20 years past due for what's getting fixed. That was my initial thought hey, when we started talking about this, is the maintenance. I just, I just thought of something. I You would think I would know this. I'm not sure why I don't know this. Who actually owns and maintains the tracks? They're privately owned by the railroads. Do you ever sit along a railroad track and watch a train go by and you see the, <laughs> the rail going up and down? Yeah. Up and down. Uh, so a big problem way back was uh, bearings. When a bearing would fail and, you know, the wheel would fall off. Yeah. They have what they call hot boxes at certain crossings. They're just heat detectors and they can detect the hot bearing as trains are rolling down the tracks but that's actually caused derailment too because at a certain temperature setting if it's hot enough it actually dynamites the brakes on the train and that just happened right near steve crone's house oh it was last fall maybe late summer somewhere in there Milwaukee, wisconsin where a hot box dynamited the brakes and ended up with like four cars off the track now these they didn't tip over they're just off the tracks and sitting down on the gravel yeah. But that huh. took, you know, and it, it was one of them where there was a cul-de-sac neighborhood that was divided by the track. So all the people there were trapped in their homes. They couldn't get out. Oh, yeah. Emergency vehicles wouldn't have been able to get in because the train was blocking the only one or two ways in and out. Well, Matt, you, you've been here. Bruce, you've been here. Um, we live in a pretty unique place. We're down at the bottom of a 3,000 foot gorge. And there's two roads out, and one of them's on the other side of a river, you know, a quarter of a mile across the river. And there's a railroad track on both sides in this narrow gorge. So now that we're talking about all these train derailments and chemicals, and I'm looking at this and trying to come up with a plan. I I could have one derail, you know, 100 yards from my front door, and it's not easy to get out of here. There's only two roads out. That's it. You can need a helicopter. It just That's about. about helicopter. Yeah. Oh, up and out of there. And uh, oh, if the railroads are still federally protected, I believe they are. And I don't know yeah. what all that involves. But most of these bigger derailments, and especially ones with hazmat, which the railroad holds a lot of hazmat. Yeah, they do. Obviously, everybody knows that these past couple of weeks. Um, but it seems to me, you know, Kevin, you keep saying, where's the news? Where's the news? I don't ever see the news covering these. 
other than small stories locally. Yeah, why there not? There was one, I mean, this is well, probably look, if it's, 12 years ago. If it's the stuff you're talking about where three or, three or four cars come off the tracks, maybe even a couple fall over, but it's coal or something like that, well, I can understand. We're not going to see that kind of stuff in the news. I get that. This is major. It, it, we don't know how major because they're not telling us anything. Is this as big or bigger than Three Mile Island? Bruce, remember when that happened? Pete? Mm, gotcha. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's all we talked about for months. Yeah, on the news nonstop. Right. When you had three news channels. Correct, and and it was all we Didn't talked happen. about for months, and and this seems to me like it could potentially be worse, but we don't know because we're not getting any news. Yeah, I mean, this one definitely sounds like it's it's going to be the top of the list, but yeah, there was a town. And I'm not going to remember the name of it because I could never pronounce it because it's in Quebec, um, and, you know, French type name. But like half the town blew up because of the railroad railment and a bunch of tankers blew up. And but I mean, almost nobody knows about that. And that was a huge, huge deal. Right. That was like 10 years ago. There's been a lot of oil spills and tankers with hazmats that fall in the rivers because a lot of railroad tracks run along rivers. Aren't isn't and the whole it, it's never national news. Is it the whole push behind this administration, the environment? Well, some days. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be all, uh, everything is because we're going to kill the planet and we have to stop killing the planet. Well, what about all these chemical spills? No. We're polluting everything you could possibly no. pollute with this train derailment, the air, the water, and the soil. I, it, it it polluted everything. Yeah, and I, the soil side of it, that should stay localized. Well, I suppose if <clears throat> how much got in the air and the snow and mixed, and now it's spread that way, you're going to have yeah, runoff as well. The water, water runoff local. Yeah, yeah. The water contamination. Yeah, and then the the air. And and what. Um, you know, they, they told us that when you burn vinyl chloride, you get hydrochloric acid and phosgene and mustard gas. Well, what do you get when you combine four or five of these chemicals that were on that train and then burn it? Well, now we can talk about acid rain again since that went away after the 80s. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm seeing pictures of people posting uh, all the way over in, on the East Coast of acid rain on their cars. Well, crazy stuff. Yeah, at least what they're saying about, you know, that it happens a lot, I, I that is true. Certainly Why seems like it. In the national news, I don't know that the answer to that one. Yeah. All right. We're going to move along. Calls are piling up again. We're going to go to North Carolina. Harry, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon. A couple questions. One on that gentleman that called on the, uh, the fuel pump. Issue he was having uh, running out of fuel. I have a 2019 X15. I had the same problems right after I changed my fuel filter. And uh, I just pulled over 100 miles down the road and changed my fuel filter again, and the problem went away. So I'm wondering if we just have a bad batch of fuel filters out there. Well, this guy said it did it before he changed the fuel filter. That was just something he did just in response to the issue. Uh, well, that's what made me change mine too. So I'm wondering maybe it's just bad fuel and 
it was plugging up the filters. Oh, I uh, well, but bad it, fuel. It the problem. Bad fuel certainly more common than bad fuel filters. I don't know that I've ever heard of a bad fuel filter. Nothing I can remember, but certainly bad fuel. We get batches now and then. Well, hopefully it helped. I don't know. I would just tell them to change the filter and see what happens. Uh, the reason I'm calling, I have a five-year-old truck, and I do a lot of Florida running, and I've been idling my truck, and it's actually killing me. My full economy, I can run empty. I'm doing actually running 9.9. As soon as I start idling, it'll take it down to 7.8. And the price of these APUs now, you're looking at $14,000. What would you do? I'm reaching out. Would you spend 14 grand on an APU or would you idle the truck? Well, I mean, there's other alternatives. If you're looking for heat, they have the um, blankets. Yeah. <laughs> Sleeping bags. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about the uh, bar heaters. You know, they have those that are pretty efficient and, uh, and affordable. Yeah, I, I don't idle when it's cold. I just do it when, when it gets above 85. I just can't sleep. Is, oh, idling when it's hot, I think, is less of an issue than when it's cold out. I mean, you're able to maintain water temp. Um, the exhaust is staying hot for the emissions. Uh, I'd be less concerned about idling in a summer than I would be in a winter. If it were me, I'd buy the APU. Okay. I think you would buy it. Yeah, if it were me, I would buy it, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it makes a difference on the truck. I mean, I've been, you've had my truck since the day it rolled out of the dealership. Uh, I've done everything with you. I don't go to any other mechanics. I run the catalyst. Uh, what can I do to kick this up? Should I do a... Uh, well, I do my overhead every year. Uh, the exhaust manifolds or anything like that to try and help me out a little bit? Or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how I can, ahead, what can help me. Well, you know, the manifolds will benefit the, the intake and the exhaust. Um, not only setting the overhead, but checking for a boost leak. I mean, that's something that probably should be checked a couple times a year. You know, any type of oh. leak. Okay. Uh, fact efficiency. So those are pretty simple things. And then, um, do you have our program in ECM? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I, I just broke 410,000 on it. I'm wondering, should I wait till about five before I do the, uh, uh, camper? Yeah. You have a little more time left. Yeah. Okay. And, and 500,000, we can really change them. That's I keep in mind. If for some reason you have to pull the radiator out, say something hit it and you're leaking, you know at that point labor is almost nothing. It might be cost effective to do it then. Um, but if okay. not, I'd wait to the five hundred thousand miles. Okay. Yeah, I have no vibration. My fuel pump or my compressor. I'm not sure what's making all the noise, but man, this is one loud ass truck at an idle. I mean. And I don't know what to do about it. I've just been suffering through it, but sit next to a Volvo and you wonder if they're even running. <laughs> well, that's one nice thing about the APU, too. That would be a lot quieter than idling the engine. Uh, are you yeah. in uh, trouble? You're in oh, yeah. Okay. Since the day I'm in the truck, I've been running. Yeah. On, on our 96 Dodge, um, I was shocked. That was the first thing I noticed, how much it 
made the engine quieter by running the, the catalyst. It's absolutely sure. Oh, no, I swear by the catalyst. I think every truck owner out there should run this stuff. I put it in everything. My pickup truck, car, lawnmower, everything. Good, good. So, hey, Harry, don't put, uh, it, in, don't put it in your coffee. doesn't work. <laughs> no, let me tell you, the smell of that stuff is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm almost getting to the point I don't smell it anymore, though. It smells like safe money. <laughs> safe money? Oh, to let you know, uh, my neighbor has a asphalt crew, I mean company, and uh, he's had nothing but trouble with all the sensors. I just gave him, I don't know, about a half a gallon. So you're going to have one big dealer hit you up. He's, it took, he didn't have to do anything. His sensors all cleared out. Everything he did. So he swears by it now. That's good. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for helping him. Oh, he's got no clue. He, he didn't believe me, and I finally had to just give it to him. He he didn't want to, he didn't believe anything that went to the fuel could solve any kind of his problems. They would, they would go down. He was telling me every week the paper would go down or the grinder. And I said, just try it. Just try Just put it in one piece and try it. And uh, he put it in his uh, 250 Dodge, and he says his pickup, his first tank fill, the response was unbelievable. So then he, he believed me, and I gave it to him. And So he should be hitting you up any day now. All right. right. Okay. Good stuff. going to head off to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, guys? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to sing on that uh, – the cat motor. I had a 94 FLD, uh, and I had the first year with that electronic cat. So I think it was 93 when it came out. Okay. But um, I used to work for Wills at Hall and Garbage, and I can remember, uh, Bruce probably knows the guy. I forget the thing's name might have been Ralph. He had a red marmot, but he used to swear by Bruce and all them all the time about that fast back then. That's how long that's been around, right? Since like 94 yep. you had that fast? The fast okay. system came out, well, what's called the fuel preparator was 1992. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. I used to, he had a red bomb and he lived up right, right by where you worked. You probably knew who he was. I can't remember his name though. But, um, but anyway, here's, uh, as far as the, the, the spill and all that stuff, I drove through uh, Missouri. There's a, I, you probably have that beat. It was a town. It took the whole town out. The guy spread the stuff down like it was oil in the dirt roads and wiped the whole town out. I can't think of the name of the town, but it's like right by St. Joseph, Missouri, somewhere out there. I actually went through there and it's like, you would think like it was a bomb hit it. That's, uh, and I hope I'm wrong, but with that place over there in, in Ohio, man, I hope that that's not what's going to happen because it, it was all like eerie driving through it. I mean, you see houses that were just boarded up, you know what I mean? And, and like dumping around like stores, just everything just shut down. I can't think of the name of the town, the exact town, but sure well, if someone looked at it, you'd be able to pull it up. It was amazing. Here's what's going to be interesting. That part of the country has some of the most depressed real estate prices anywhere. They've been that way for a long time now. They haven't gotten better. Um, I, I was shocked by how little we got for either one of our properties there. That was before this. So uh, imagine this today. I, I'm looking at a house across the street from me that's that was built. Nobody's bought it yet, and I don't think anybody's going to for quite some time. Uh, it's roughly 2,200 square feet and it was on the market for $750,000. Yeah. 
we had a 3,000 square foot, big, big yard. This house has no yard, zero lot lines, no grass, no yard, no nothing. It's, it's a house on a lot. It's 10 feet away from the house next to it. $750,000. In Salem, we had a 3,000 square foot, big, big yard. It sold for like 170. That's wow. how depressed the housing price. We had a, a condo that we totally redid the condo. That's what Lisa was there doing. Uh, that sold for 70 something. Well, I just, I feel sorry for them people, man. Cause it's, I mean, that was all like all up through that whole thing by the Beaver River and all that. That was all like, I used to go to this place in, uh, in, uh, West Virginia. They used to burn dirty dirt. We'd, we'd take dirt, dirt in a dump trailer and they would, uh, well, you know, but they would burn it. They, you, you go into the building, you dump it, and they would incinerate it. It's like, I mean, and, you, and when you come out of the place, it's like a beautiful landscape and all this. Right. I'm like, if they only knew. Yeah. And then I'm not laughing because it's not funny, but it's, it's, it's a shame, man. You know, I, just, I feel sorry for those you people know, over there. I'll let someone else get in there, guys. Yeah, there you go. You know, that, that part of the country, the other thing I uh, did quite a bit of, it was a big thing. I don't know if they're still doing this or not. We used to pull a ton of garbage off the East Coast back to landfills in that part of the country. That used to be a, a big deal. If you went to the East Coast, you always knew you could get a load of garbage coming back. It was garbage, but that was, there was a lot of that. I haven't really heard much about that lately. They still do that or not. Let's, uh, let's go to Texas. Lance, welcome to the program. Hey, I've been talking to Leroy. So he'll know about this subject right here. I've got a 2020 Cascadia, Cascadia CD15, 400 horsepower, 1750 torque at 975, uh, D12 transmission, direct drive, 215 rears. And he's been talking about putting a program in it. He informed me that he would probably put, you know, somewhere around five, five fifty to it, two thousand fifty foot pounds of torque. I, I don't ever ask all the questions at one time, but I'm wondering if I do. I have enough cooling capacity on the radiator and the air to air to do this without, you know, opening up a whole wasp nest here. I mean, yeah, certainly at five by fifty, there's plenty of uh, cooling capacity there. I mean, we've turned them up way harder than that, so. It seems like the cooling system has enough has the ability to um, reject a lot of heat. I think it's because um, of EGR trucks. I mean, when you have to reject the heat from the uh, EGR system, I think they overbuild the cooling systems. So typically, what I see if I really start to push a truck, uh, you know, I'm talking like 650, 700 horsepower. It seems that we run out of either a turbo speed or uh, I mean just turbo in general where we get a lot of uh, codes for high pyro. I mean we're talking like 45 pounds of boost, which isn't great, um, or we get overspeed codes. So typically, no, the cooling system is fine. Um, it's more of like just if we push it too hard, we you know, like I said the the turbocharger suffers. Um, as far as the DT12, uh, hey, I haven't had any. Okay, I have had one that has had an issue. But again, it was like 650 horsepower before it threw some sort of, uh, you know, over torque limit code. That was the only time yeah. that I've never had an issue. But um, if, yeah, if we're going to like 500, 550, yeah, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be plenty safe. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I had enough totaling capacity and, you know, my transmission and that 215 rear end would handle it. I mean, you know, I don't want to push anything past where I need to go. Yeah, no, I understand that. 
And uh, also, you know, only daily pain, like I, I told you earlier, you know, I just bought this truck not long ago. You know, I hear on the DD-15s that uh, the O-rings on the oil pump go out. Of course, I can't find out anything on a new truck like a 2020. It doesn't matter where you look. You don't find out this information. You know, everything you read about 2010, 2012, you know. So is that still an issue or is it not an issue? Does anybody know? Yeah, I remember looking at the bulletin months ago. Maybe it was even a year ago that we talked about on the show here. I believe that that's an older issue and that's been resolved. I can pull back up the bulletin, but I'm pretty sure it was on like EPA 13 models or EPA 10 model trucks. And uh, yeah, they have since solved the issues. When I bought the truck, you know, that's what they actually told me. The guy sounded intelligent, the guy that I was asking questions to. So that's what he told me. But you never know when you're buying something new that whether they're telling you the truth or not. Yeah, no, yeah, I understand that. Okay, well, I think that's the questions I had. I'll, I'll get back in touch with you as soon as I get a hold of this guy down here in Texas and kind of work this out. I'd like to, I'd like to try, you know, a tune on it and put a new balancer on it. I mean, it's got six hundred thousand miles, never had a balancer on it, so I don't know what that's going to do for it, but can't hurt it. I don't guess. There you go. No, that sounds like a plan. All right, we're going to head off to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Um. Where there's a tight wall, there's always a cheaper solution. So the guy with the, the thinking about the APU, you can go buy a Honda generator, a portable in-room air conditioner, go to Northern Tool Equipment, you buy a gas can with the flow-through cap that'll go on top of your Honda generator, buy gasoline, a couple other bits and pieces, and $1,500, $1,800, you'll be staying cool in the summertime and not idling your truck. I like it. Yeah, and I've had this truck nearly 10 years. I'm on my second Honda. Wow, really? So my, my second Honda and a second air conditioner, So, oh, and my second gas tank because that split. So you can say it, it'll last five, six years maybe. So in the first one, I abused it. Yeah, that's I only used to change the oil about. I used to only change the oil about twice a year. That's <laughs> pretty hard to beat. You know, you, know what else I, you know what else I like about that? It's also not you that take the Honda off and take it other places. There you go. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not that big of a deal to set it up, so it's easy to take it off and and use it. Yeah, because another another well, actually one of the only other things I use my generator for is after the July Fourth weekend. We always have a lot of fireworks at my house. Well, I'm not going out there to pick up all them see little bits of paper. So I get on the right on lawnmower put the Honda generator and the shop vac in the little trailer and I go around and I vacuum them up. <laughs> it's easier than bending down. There you go. Yeah. So, and the people in Ohio, they might have to pay the people if they want to sell their property. They might have to pay people to take it because their property value just went in the into the journey of the center of the earth with the chemical. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's all I got. I'll carry on. Thanks. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. We are, uh, we're going to wrap this up for today. Anybody have anything they want to close with? I don't. No, I'm pretty good. All right. Well, it's been a, a pretty quiet day from us. We had a lot of good calls. So uh, we will see you again next week for the Power Hour. Let's get an update on what's going on on the show the rest of the week. Uh, tomorrow. 
I have a returning guest. He's the CEO of Enviromedica, Jared Ramirez. He's been with us before. So we'll be joined by him again tomorrow. Should be a great show. Always is. Thursday is a free-for-all, no guest, and uh, I'm not sure who's joining me yet on Friday, but I'll give you an update as soon as I know. Be safe, profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.